Congratulations. Dude, I found, I spotted a pine wood snake about yay big in the road. Yeah. Impressed. Are you impressed? You should be. You are a god among men. I know. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Bratz with JLB Morelia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. What's going on, guys? This is episode 27 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. My name is Jacob Bratz with JLB Morelia. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And tonight, we are here with our good buddy, Mr. Ian Bissell. What's up, man? What's up, guys? How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. You all Hanging recovered. Out. You all recovered from Southeast Carpet Yeah, I was oh, going to say, it's it, been a kind of a... It's been, it was a wonky week, man. It, it took, it took me all week to kind of get back into the groove of it. I was waking up every morning was exhausting. That whole week, I kind of, it was difficult, but the weekend was nice, so. Yeah, it took me like a solid like two days to kind of fully get back get to it. Like, because I don't it. stay up that late usually, and yeah. so for me, like, I stayed up till 3.30, and I, I mean, I got a decent amount of sleep, and I woke up at like 9 the next day, so I... 3.30. You know, I was just, I, I was in a fog. Yeah, yeah but Jacob got to sleep the whole way back to South Carolina. He did. Yeah, I did. He, but like, woke was, up and we were home. He's like, oh. Dude, it wasn't, it was only like a two and a half hour ride, though. It was like three. Yeah, and I got like maybe an hour of sleep, an hour and a half of sleep before Justin woke me up in the car, so I was still running on fumes when we got back. <laughs> well, that's good. It means uh, it was a, a good party if you guys were... Uh, recovering midweek he oh, was man. very quiet at lunch we were eating at arby's and he just didn't he's like i could tell he's just in a shit mood he's just all grumpy and stuff and i'm like Jeez. i was so tired man. He's like, i want to get back on the road man i was like fine i didn't say that you were anxious to like just get back yeah so i could sleep <laughs> that's why <laughs> i was tired oh, though there was a few times driving back where i was like yeah trying dude. i was like kind of slapping myself I was like stay awake yeah it was like oh god yeah. I don't want to have to have Jake drive. But... Dude, now you know how I felt on the way back from Charlotte, man. Yeah, that except, was rough. Except that was like <laughs> 11, 12 o'clock at night all the way until 2 in the freaking morning. But, you know. We're even now. Oh, how about yeah, that? We're even. I mean, well, I, I went... appreciate you guys making the trip down. It was uh, it was good to see you guys. And uh appreciate you guys being one of our sponsors. And hopefully you had a good time. Yeah, dude. It was a great time. It was definitely worth the drive. We yeah, it was a good weekend. Yeah, it was a great weekend. Weekend well spent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was nice to see the Southeast represented, you know, pretty well, not just Florida. I mean, we had people from South Carolina, we had mm-hmm. people from Georgia, we had people from Alabama. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see, and quite a few people from out of state. We had a couple people from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. one from Ohio, a couple from PA, <laughs> one from New York. So mm-hmm. it was nice to see people representing, you know, all parts of the country. Yeah, for sure. It was. We definitely had a good turnout, man. That was honestly yeah. way more people than I was expecting. Um, it was but... a bit more people than we were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's tough because you run the whole thing through a Facebook event page, and uh, Facebook is great for some things, but you know, when on their event page, when you when you RSVP, it gives you three categories: you know, going, not going, or interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, you get like sixty people. 
click on the going and 200 people click on the interesting. <laughs> so you don't really know what to expect. And so, you know, all along we kept saying, all right, well, we're going to plan for somewhere between 50 and 100 people, but we don't really know what it's going to be. So let's just plan for 75. And mm-hmm. thankfully, uh, you know, we actually, you know, planned for a little bit more than that. I think uh, just had some overage because we, we ended up having roughly around 100 people. Yeah, I was going to say, I knew it was, it was around that mark somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, there were, uh, I tried to count heads in the picture and there were like 80, 80 plus people in the picture and Jeez, we had really? the sign up sheet. Yeah, Jeez. we had the sign up sheet for the auction, you know, to get your bidding numbers and that sheet went into like the mid 80s wow. and i know of at least like a dozen people that weren't on that sign up sheet and um there were a number of people that you know some of the speakers weren't on that sheet and mm-hmm. um so there were some spouses and people kids that came you know with parents and so we i think we were probably just over 100 people total yeah it was it was definitely an awesome turnout man we uh yeah well, this was one was good cuz it kind of went the other way cuz previous south like not the la- not last year's Southeast Carpet Fest, but the year before that, you said there hadn't, there wasn't a huge turnout for that one. Yeah, so the first one was in 2015, and um, and there wasn't a there wasn't a big turnout for that one, and then there was no Southeast Carpet Fest in 2016. Oh man! And then 2017 was at Dave Palumbo's down in Southwest mm-hmm. Florida, mm-hmm. and that one we had somewhere between 40 and 50 people, um, so it was a pretty good turnout, you know. It hadn't been done in two years, and um, you know, there, I wasn't really even sure what kind of interest there was, and so, uh, and then it just sort of ballooned this year. Came know, back with double, a vengeance, so. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because we blew some, so, uh, we blew numbers out of the water with this one, didn't oh, we? Man. This is like the record holder, isn't it? Yeah, let's talk about some of the some of the numbers that we got between you know all the money raised and T-shirt sales and whatnot. Yeah, so I mean, this one at least for Southeast Carpet Fest, it broke every record. You know, we had bigger attendance, so we had almost 100 people, mm-hmm. or roughly 100 people. Uh, we sold more shirts than ever before, and we raised, it was just shy of $1,500 for US Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we sold 100 shirts. I have to double check. I don't mm-hmm. remember we exactly. Bro- we but it was... broke 100, if I remember. I think it was like 106 or yeah. 105. Yeah, I, I think it was just over 100 shirts, yeah. and then I don't I remember two. the exact number, but... <laughs> Um, the, the funny thing about the shirts is thank God we, we put the hoodie as an option this year because uh, I think most of the people at the event were wearing the hoodie because it was so cold and windy. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, man, I was wearing that hoodie all night, man. You I was, were, I was you were loving sleeping that in hoodie. yours. Yeah, dude, I wore that thing all day. Found you all nestled in yours like a little baby bird <laughs> and pillows and blankets in his SECF hoodie. Oh, but, God. yeah, so that's almost 1500 bucks. That goes to U.S. Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, side note, there's a lot going on with U.S. Arc at the moment. Um, if oh, you're in man. Florida, there's a stakeholders meeting next weekend after the Tampa Repticon show. But there's there's legislation going on all over the country that's uh, trying to chip away at people's rights to keep reptiles. So Wait, is that, um, is if that... you're in Florida, look that up. But, but go, go check out U.S. Arc, support U.S. Arc. And, you know, last year we raised $12,000 for U.S. Arc. This year... You know, we had some different ideas on uh, fundraising, but we did still raise almost fifteen hundred dollars for US Arc. So, wow. um, thank you to Phil Goss and US Arc and all they do for us. Is that meeting in Tampa after the show, or? Yeah, it's gonna be. I think it's next Saturday after the Repticon show in Tampa. Uh-huh. Um, I've got some information that I posted and shared around. I even put it up on the Southeast Carpet Fest page, but it's on the US Arc page on Facebook and. 
uh, it's going to be a Florida stakeholders meeting um, after Repticon in Tampa next weekend. Can anybody attend that or? I believe anybody can attend it, but you might want to double check the details on the USARC page because I'm not sure if they want it. I, I guess it's for anyone that's in Florida or does any kind of business in Florida. Uh, so yeah, I guess you could be out of state, go, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't but I show think up that one of the things they're going to talk about is um, for those, I, I know you guys weren't there, but uh, for those who went on the tour pre-Carpet Fest at yeah. Eugene Bissett's facility, he was talking a little bit about they're looking at um, developing a state chapter of USARC in Florida. Oh, wow. And they're also doing an economic impact study for the reptile industry in Florida to try to quantify the, the total economic impact to the state in terms of both direct and indirect revenue that's generated by the industry, both on the production end as well as you know the show and retail side. There's a number there, and, and they want to kind of get their arms around that to understand what kind of impact it has. Um, so, you know, definitely if you're interested, I, mm-hmm. I suggest you check it out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Awesome. Well, let's, yeah. so, um, what about the... As far uh... as the other stuff with uh, Carpet Fest, we, the auction uh, was to raise money for nidovirus research, mm-hmm. and we have just about finished closing out all the items for the auction. We are standing at about $23,500 oh. right now, and there's not there's still time to get donations in. If uh, there's anybody listening that wants to still donate, get in touch with us. I'd love to push that number to a nice even twenty four thousand. Uh, we're going to split the money evenly four ways between four research university laboratories that are working on nidovirus. So the University of Florida, the University of Georgia, Utah State, and Colorado State. And so it would be nice if. Uh, that was a nice even twenty four thousand because then we could give each of them a six thousand dollar check yeah. to accelerate the research on Nido. So all the way around, it was it was record breaking event. The the attendance, the shirts uh, to raise money for US Arc, and the auction to raise money for Nido. I don't know that we broke the all time Carpet Fest attendance record. I'm fairly certain that either is still held by Southern Carpet Fest at Bill Stiegel's house in 2016. Maybe that was 17. Um, and, or the OG original Carpet Fest Northeast chapter at uh, Eric Burke's house. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if we've, we've quite broken the attendance record. We might be within uh, a stone's throw, but I'm not sure if we broke it. But I'm <clears throat> pretty sure we've, we've sold more shirts and raised more money than anybody else. And, yeah. Um, you know, not that that's a, uh, you know, I'm not trying to put down the other chapters, but maybe we were raising the bar and maybe those guys well, it's start cool that there's a little a, more money too. There yeah. could be some sort of kind of a competition, you yeah. know, for like a, a record. Yeah, you know. not some like, you know, you hold yourself to a higher standard, like, oh, we did the best, you know, mm-hmm. but it's something to, sh- to pick up the slack. Yeah, it's something to strive for every year, you know, it's, it's like, fun. yeah, you know, if each Carpet Fest says, like, all right, let's do better than, you know, Southie, let's do better than Northeast and just keep trying to keep it growing, man. You know, the more more people we get involved, which I mean, it's obvious year by year, things keep getting bigger and bigger. So I mean, it's it's becoming obvious that you know every year, you know, we're, we should hope to mm-hmm. to surpass last year's goal. You know. Well, shout out to Custom Ink for getting my first T-shirt order lost and then replacing it, and then <laughs> yeah. the other one. So I ended up with two shirts because my <laughs> first order showed up on time, and then just before we left, another envelope was on my door. So I was like, oh sweet, I got two shirts for the price of one. So. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they do a good job running the shirt campaign. The uh, the only thing that's a little bit 
tough to, to handle is that there's always people after the fact and even in the last day or two messaging me, yeah. hey, can I get a shirt? Can I get a hoodie? And it's like, sorry, that that campaign closed. Snooze, you lose. January 16th. You know, there's, yep. there's not a lot I can do about it now. You had like three weeks to get one. Yeah, and I'm glad you and told it gets me about shared it. Shared everywhere. So I it's almost. Kinda, I don't I, believe you didn't see it. Yeah, you know? I almost forgot. To, I almost didn't realize because I didn't know the closing date, and uh, I was planning to get one, and um, uh, the date was coming up. And I was talking to you, Ian, and uh, you're like, "Yeah, it closes in like three days." I was like, "Oh shoot, <laughs> like, I gotta get one now." So yeah, there were a lot of people at the event who came up to me and they wanted to know, "Oh, there are hoodies here for sale?" Because I could really use one of those, and unfortunately the way that it all works you know you, you gotta you gotta order it way ahead of time so that way it ships in time that you yeah. have it before the event so uh unfortunately it's just not set up where we can actually have a inventory of them to sell at the right. event but you've been to a handful of these things like you've been to the one in california you've been to the one in texas right you've been to the northeast one which which one of all of them has been your favorite so far well, you know, it's definitely more fun to attend a carpet fest than it is to <laughs> oh, yeah, go yeah. carpet fest. So, you know, I don't, no disrespect to the Southeast. It, it, for me personally, it hasn't been... The, the two carpet fests that I've been to in the Southeast have been obviously amazing, but it's not as much fun uh, as it is to go to a carpet fest and drink and hang out and yeah. stay up late and be irresponsible as it is when, you know, you got everything kind of swirling on around you and you got to make sure everything's going the way it needs to. So yeah, it, it's, you know, it's really hard to say which one was, was the best because they're all different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the first one that I went to was at Bill Siegel's house in Texas and that carpet fest is going to always hold a special place in my heart because it was the first one that I went to. Mm -hmm. And it was really just by happenstance because I had been talking to Evan Browder in Texas a whole lot because he had a, a female conjurer that was laying eggs and it, um, it was her first clutch. It was his first clutch and he was nervous as hell and he had tons of questions. And so I talked to him a lot. And, uh, and so as I was talking to him and getting to know him, I knew I had a, a work trip that I needed to make to Texas to the Dallas area. And so I said to him, I said, Hey man, if, if I'm going to come to Texas this year, would it be better for me to come out for the NARBC <clears throat> Arlington show? Or would it be better for me to come out for this event that I see you commenting or posting about called Carpet Fest? And he said, oh, man, hands down, hands down, Carpet Fest. Hmm. Wow. Nice. So, <clears throat> so was it worth it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, he's like, hands down, you know, definitely Carpet Fest. So, so I actually went out that particular week for work and I, I went to carpet fest and that event was just amazing and um it was at it was at bill stiegel's house and he's got an awesome collection and getting to meet him and see his collection was kind of just cool in and of itself because i've been listening to gtp keeper radio but there were just so many so many people there that i had only known online yeah. it was a huge party he had well over 100 people there wow. I don't even know how many, but he's got a pool and a huge yard and he had a frozen margarita machine and people hung out and partied Friday night at his place till all hours of the night and then Saturday night, all hours of the night. And it was just, I met so many people there. That's where I met Joe and Melissa. That's where I met Eric and Owen. That's where I met Matt Minatola. That's where I met Matt Morris. That's where I met Mark Hager. Just, you know, so many people I met that week 
in fact, actually, I had been out there for a few days, and so some of the guys I got to meet earlier in the week, you know, I met Evan and, and went by his place earlier in the week. I met Mark Hager and went by his place earlier in the week. I met Tony Jerome and went by his place earlier in the week. So it was just so cool to meet all these people kind of leading up uh, to Friday night. There was like a big dinner. And so it was just, it was such an awesome experience. And that was actually what led me to, to even want to get involved with Southeast Carpet Fest. So, so that whole event is just, it was just such an awesome four days or so that it's kind of hard to beat that. But going up to Northeast Carpet Fest is, is quite an experience. Getting to see Eric's collection in and of itself is quite an experience. But uh, that was when I got to meet a lot of the guys up in that part of the country. And going out to California to their Carpet Fest in Southwest was also pretty cool. Getting to hang out with guys like Riley and Brandon Wheeler mm-hmm. and, you know, April and, um, and some of the other folks out there, David Hastings, it's, you know, there's, there's so many cool people in our community that are physically or geographically spread out in such you know, different parts of the country that each one of those events, while completely different, you know, still, it was an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say which one was the best. Um, and I also went to another one in, in Texas, actually, I went two years in a row. So one was at Bill Siegel's and then the following year, it was, it was a smaller Greek gathering, but it was actually you know, a lot of really great people still uh, was at Tony Jerome's place this last year, and mm-hmm. that was another good time. So it's uh, it just really, each event kind of has a different personality, you know, it depends on the people that are there and kind of the things that happen during the course of the evening and, uh, you know, the people that you meet, the, the experience that you have. I mean, Northeast was insane. They had, they had crawfish and blue crab and lobster I remember seeing, and seeing video and, of Howard mm-hmm. doing that up. oh yeah I mean Howard was cooking stuff for hours and then you know you're drinking and you're eating and then all of a sudden it's three o'clock in the morning and <laughs> and Zach's like hey who wants a cheeseburger <laughs> and, you're, and you're like oh three o'clock in the morning That's a good idea cheeseburgers all around mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's um it, it's just really cool and you know just major shout out to Eric and Owen because they're the ones who really, you know, came up with this whole thing and the idea of let's actually get out from behind our computers and meet people in person and hang out in person and talk snakes just like we do online, but let's do it in person. Right. And it, uh, I think we should just do a lot more of that in general. It's crazy that it's become almost like a fight club thing where like it starts out in like one area and now it's just it's caught and now it's even going overseas Mm because you know the guys are doing the uk one soon it's just like i don't think anybody would have ever thought that it would get to where it is now yeah you know yeah i think eric's gonna go over for the uk one that would be really (laughs) cool but i don't know if i could keep up with those guys those guys uh kind of crazy i don't know if you listen to them on reptile and chill they're hilarious if they're anything like mike they're definitely gonna be hard to keep up with Oh, oh yeah, I mean, they, just, they <laughs> crack me up. I, I listen to them a lot, and uh, they're hilarious. Honestly, yeah. I would love to go over and hang out with those guys, but I, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could handle it. Oh man, I would do it if I could afford it, man. That'd be that'd be awesome. I'm definitely trying to go to Northeast this year. That's uh, I kind of had a choice, you know, because I had another trip come on where I'll be out of the country here at the beginning of March. Um, all over the world. But. Uh, so I kind of had a choice between <clears throat> Northeast Carpet Fest and Southwest, and I was like, man, like I know a lot of people that go to both. And then I heard Eric Burke was hosting Northeast, and I was like, oh well, I've got to go to Done. that. <laughs> like that answers my question. I've got to see Eric's animals. So um, yeah, but. I mean, 
you got you got to go to the northeast for oh, sure. Yeah. But then again, Southwest this year I think is going to be at Brian Cusco's place. Yeah. yeah it is. So I'm kind of I'm kind of anxious to to go to Southwest again this year, but I don't know if I'll make it to all of them. You know, the the other carpet fest that's sort of a uh, an informal or unofficial carpet fest is the October Tinley Show. Which is yeah, another really good time that, that you guys should try to make that one. Yeah, that one I'm trying to go to too. I'm trying to go to Tenley since that's towards the end of the year. But that's actually going to depend because uh, one of my best friends is getting married in October, so we'll see Come where on, that. Man. We'll, we'll see where that falls. Married or Tinley show, dude? No, no, I, I'm, I'm not getting married. I'm in the wedding. I'm in the wedding, so I kind of have to be there. <laughs> but uh, we'll see what day it falls. As long as it falls in the right place, then. I should be yeah, able. the Tinley show is, is another good time. I've gone the last two years in a row. I've never been to the March show, but I hear it's getting pretty big as well. Yeah. Uh, but the October show, there's there's a lot of people that come to that show from all over the country. A lot of a lot of the Morelia guys, a lot of Condro guys. Mm-hmm. It's it's usually a big party. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I wish we had more here. expos other than Repticons. Yeah, man. man. South Carolina. Daytona's the stuff. only thing we have. Daytona's well, the only bigger one. Well, you got the Daytona one. show, and there's there's a new show, the South of the Border show. Oh yeah, yeah. That's where's, in March. Where's that? That's South of the Border. Yeah, South of the Border. You've never been to South of the Border. No, you live in the South, and you've never I been to South of the Border. I don't know where you're talking about. Where's that? Isn't that in South Carolina? Don't you? It's like it's on the South Carolina North Carolina border. Oh okay. When is that? Early March. Early March? Well, I won't be here early March. So that sucks. I think it is. I is, have to double is, check. It a, is it a big show? It's a new one they're doing. Uh, it's huh. a new one. So there used to be a Myrtle Beach reptile show. Yeah, that I was believe. like the fire expo or something. Way and I believe when. what happened was they got run out of town, basically. Like, I think the, the city or the local municipality changed the ordinance or something stupid like that. And so the show could no longer be there. And so uh, I guess it used to be a really good show. Mm-hmm. A lot of people from the whole, you know, kind of Atlantic seaboard would come. Yeah, that's not a and far so, drive for us at all. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. Yeah, it, has, it hasn't been hosted in, in several years. And so I think it's Jay Eaton from the jungle down here in Florida is putting on the show. And it sold out like the first week they, wow. they opened it up for vendor tables. Completely sold out. So it's supposedly going to be a pretty awesome show. I, I, I don't know what to expect because of never been to it but nah, i might it see if sounds that... like there's gonna be a lot of people there yeah i'm gonna be gone the fifth or the twelfth so if it's before or after that I'm, i might try and it's kind of ironic there. that myrtle beach kicked kind of ran them out because yeah. myrtle beach is like the vegas of the yeah south it basically is as far as south carolina goes yeah it's i think that's where it was with myrtle beach uh, yeah i know exactly where you're talking about it was run through repticon it was called the fire expo and uh, it was supposedly like the biggest one in, you know, one of the biggest episodes or um, the biggest shows in the Southeast. But I don't know. I'm kind of surprised we don't have like a Daytona-esque show in South Carolina, given how lawless it is. I feel like South Carolina is like, it's just one of those states that, you know, as far as reptiles go, you know, you would think there would be more people into it, but there's really not. You know, there's really not that many people in South Carolina that do stuff. I know a handful, but... I mean, it's, I don't know. Columbia shows more. good. Like yeah, of the Repticons, rep- Columbia is probably yeah, one of the best as, as ones. As far but... as Repticon shows go, Columbia is definitely one of the best. But it's still, it's it's a Repticon, you know. Yeah. Well, you guys will be coming down for Daytona, I assume, this year. Yes, planning to. Yes, I I am. Nice. One way. Or I've another. already <laughs> I've already talked to my boss about. It. I don't know if Northeast Carpet Fest is going to happen for me because I've already yeah. discussed that. But I just said August. I got a, I got some dates that I need off. Yeah, and we may Didn't end up... Didn't you say that last year? <clears throat> hey! I did. I did. 
Yeah, and we made. Pretty sure you said that last year. Jacob was there. I yeah, seeing him. I was there. I was at the committee meeting. Yep. Yeah, I was gonna say. You know, that's that's usually kind of our kickoff for Southeast Carpet Fest mm-hmm. is Daytona. We all get together and kind of come up with a game plan. Yep. Yeah, because we talked about vending, but I don't know yeah. what we'll even have. If I, I don't, I'm not. If whatever hatches, I don't know. Yeah, I know I'm you're gonna, gonna keep anything. them for a while, and I may end up trying to. It's gonna depend on how many clutches I get. If I just end up with this one, then I'm not. But if I end up with you know three clutches, then I may, I may try and get a booth. Um, but we'll see. But. Well, can I uh, give a few shout-outs for Southeast Carpet Fest yeah, before we talk about some other stuff? Go for it. So I want to just, you know, thank some people before uh, we talk about some other stuff. Uh, for starters, I want to make sure to thank all of our Southeast Carpet Fest 2019 sponsors. So big thank you to Forrest and Desiree Fanning at Cold Blooded Cafe mm-hmm. and to Feedersource.com. And also want to thank Robin and Chip Your Reptiles, as well as you guys, the Herpticulture mm-hmm. Podcast. Um, you guys all helped make Carpet Fest this year possible. As you guys saw, we needed to, you know, rent tables and chairs and tents and porta potty and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was thanks to you guys uh, supporting us that we were able to host, you know, that, that large a crowd. So For big sure. shout out to all of our sponsors. And uh, for those of you who were interested in sponsoring and to get a chance, you know, be sure to hit us up next year. Um, I also want to make sure I thank Pia and Cody for hosting us, Terrestrial and Arboreal. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, you know, allowing us to not only invade your yard and <laughs> destroy your property, it, <laughs> all over it, you know, everything else all over it, but yeah. also for allowing us to to tour the collection, which was just amazing. Oh my gosh. Quite frankly. Their stuff um, is unreal, man. Yeah. There's just no other way to say it. It's yeah. Amazing. I told Pia, uh, I said, y'all are very trusting of people to just have yeah. all these strangers walking around your house when you have, you know, like five different species of Bothrops just sitting there. Yeah. And like, I was just like, that would make me so nervous. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. You well, people. They, they had people, um, sitting like um, Amanda Rue. Is that her yeah, last the name? Yeah. yeah. And they, I mean, I get that, was, but yeah, still, I'd just be like, people were watching a, and whatnot, just, but it, just, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it made yeah. me nervous. Just thinking, I was like, oh, yeah. God. no, for sure. For sure. Uh, speaking of, of Amanda though, I do want to definitely thank Dallas and Amanda yeah. Rue. They, they drove a, a trailer, a U-Haul trailer, all the way from Alabama, full of stuff. And uh, they were there all weekend helping with the food, with the registration, with the auction, with the cages. Uh, just, you know, they were they were totally clutch. We couldn't have done with, without Dallas and Amanda. Uh, I also want to ta- uh, give a shout out to Casey Cannon and Eric Chung, who helped with yep. the auction. And also Eric Burke and... Um, and Mike Arnold, who helped with the, um, you know, who are guest auctioneers. Auctioneers. Yep. Yep. I want to thank Chris for arranging the pre-Carpet Fest tours at Eugene Bassett's place and Stephen Tillis's facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you also to Stephen for letting us come check out his place. Um, I don't know if Gene listens the podcast or not, but thank you to Eugene and Cindy for allowing us to, to come out and check out their place as well. Chris was also... Um, you know, working on some other stuff behind the scenes, helping out uh, with Carpet Fest. Thank you to, you know, everybody who came and brought stuff also. You know, it's it's a giant potluck and lots of people brought a lot of stuff. So I want to make sure that I think, you know, all those people who brought things and contributed in one way or another. Uh, like I said, we, we are still open accepting cash donations. If anyone still wants to donate to the NIDO virus research, I'm hoping to get us up to 24000 
Uh, and we will have a planning meeting for next year at the Daytona Expo. So if you're going to be at the Expo and you want to get involved with Carpet Fest, be sure to connect with me. Not now, probably, but closer to August. And um, yeah, everybody, we'll give give Ian detail. a couple months, guys. So let's yeah. uh, let's let him relax a little uh, bit. Poor bastard, give him a break. I'm gonna need gonna need a, a Southeast Carpet Fest vacation here uh, yeah. as soon as we're done with the auction stuff. Yeah. And the other thing I'll just throw out there is we don't know, we never know, but we certainly don't know where we'll host it next year. So now that we're a big crowd, we can only fit in so many places. So if, if you've got ideas for some place that you think would be a cool venue, uh, somebody that's got a cool collection and a big yard and might not mind us invading, definitely hit me up. Also want to, uh, you know, see what our options are as far as, do we go back to P and Cody's again next year? Do we go back to Dave Palumbo's place from the year before? Do we go someplace completely new? I think it's kind of cool to, to move it around and, get to check out different collections so yeah. if you're listening and you've got some ideas definitely hit me up yeah we were talking about I, how we'd I, like I know, to do that yeah, but it I, just, know. I don't want to have any part in doing what you had to do like, <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I would not handle that well yeah. like i would i would it would it would suck if i did it <clears throat> yeah well there's a reason why carpet fest is not at my house yeah. Let's just say that. <laughs> My wife would just never there's no way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. But no. when I came back from the carpet fest at Bill Steagles and told her about even like half the shenanigans that went on, uh, it was kind of like an automatic, okay, well that'll never happen at our house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, by next year, you know, we'll see where I'm at as far as my living situation. If I'm in a better spot then I'd be open to it, but We'll see. I've got a space out here that's, you know, we have the room, but it's there's no snakes out there. You know, I've got a big piece of property, but there's as far as a collection goes, there's nothing. So that kind of, you know, counts that one out. But I don't feel like that should be like the main sort it, of it's, of it, it's a it's an add on though. You definitely want, you know, <coughs> at least whoever we're staying at, maybe at least maybe we can see their stuff if they have it. But you know, it is what it is. But I definitely like the idea, you know, keeping it more, you know, if it's going to be in Florida, at least more central Florida instead yeah, of like all the, the way, yeah. you, know, you know, West Palm Beach or something. Because I remember that was my only thing with, um, I wasn't able to go in 2018 because, you know, around the time I had, you know, I had other things going on. I couldn't go. But the big thing was from where I was, that was an eight hour drive. West Palm Beach is a whole. That that was it was far away to Dave Palumbo's, and I this one was two and a half three hours from where we lived. Mm -hmm. So I mean that's nothing. (laughs) I don't mind making that drive at all. But it was not bad. It was was three and a half. It's easy when you're sleeping. It oh, is. Yeah. Time flies when you're not conscious. Dude, do you really want to talk about that after Charlotte? Bring it on. Really, you slept for hours on the way to Charlotte, and it was I two. Was... It was two in the morning. Yeah, I drove then. I drove there, and then I drove back, and you slept the whole way. Shut up. And Don't once even again, talk. At no point did you ask me, "Hey, man, can you drive?" Yeah, because you were sleeping. Wake me up. I'm yeah. well rested. Anyways, anyways, not gonna get into all that again. But, all right, anything else but Carpet Fest related? I will say, if there had been a margarita machine at this last one, my weekend would have <laughs> oh been God. drastically different <laughs> in terms of series of events. Yeah. I think I, well, I didn't drink much. I had, like, two beers, and I think that was it. And some Jaeger. Pia was trying to get rid of some Jaeger. She's like, here, drink this. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I asked for water. I was like, is there any water out <laughs> here? Like, she puts Jaeger in my hand. I'm like, what is this? I was like, I guess I could drink some of this, but... That's funny. She tried to get me to drink bourbon. Oh, She's man. pushing, like, little plastic cups of bourbon. Like, here, drink this. And I smelled it. I was like, I don't want that. No. <laughs> it was just, like, straight bourbon. 
But yeah. I bought all, I also brought all these cigars and nobody smoked with me. I dude, I told you nobody was gonna smoke your dang cigar. Yeah, you know, I think it was just we had so much going on and it was cold, so everyone was huddled around the fire. And... Well, I smoked enough for everybody else. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I had, nic- had I had nicotine poisoning like the next day, dude. My <laughs> stomach was killing me all day the next oh, day. Like I was man. feeling horrible. Because I smoked like six or seven of those things back oh to back, dude. Oh my gosh, dude, why? <laughs> nah, I was bored. You're oh. bored. Not like bored. Bored at like, carpet fest. Wow. I just I smoked. Yeah. I don't know. I smoke a lot. Yeah. I See, if you had been smoking less, you would have taken more pictures. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh. That was Got a good one. Got him. <laughs> oh, oh, I already you know repented I, I for that. Sure, yeah, I want to make sure to also give a shout out to uh, to Jeff Frederick who did our logo. You know, he's done um, a lot of the logos for Carpet Fest. He does the logos for NPR, and he just does amazing work. So if you ever need any logo work, definitely hit up Jeff. And I also want to give a shout out to Gemma, who arranged the entire shirt campaign. So she was responsible for all the styles and colors and making sure that we had hoodies. So I definitely want to give her a shout out as well. She wasn't able to make the event, but she was working behind the scenes. So thank you to her as well. For sure, for sure. And even though she's not listening, I got to make sure to give a shout out to my wife because not only does she put up with all the stuff that I've got going on normally and Carpet Fest on top of that, but... She did all the auction graphics, so oh, 178 wow. items. She was responsible for all of that, and she didn't even know what she was getting into when she signed up for it, because last year we only had around 80 items, Yeah. so she was not expecting it to be 180, so big Jeez. shout out to her, and thank yeah, you as well. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, we had a lot, a lot of auction items this year. Jeez, I thought you know when we when we went there, I thought we were auctioning everything at Carpet Fest. And I was like, man, we're gonna have to start this as soon as we get there to get through it all. And even then, we had a boatload of stuff to go through while we were still there. You know? Yeah, I think we ended up doing around forty some odd items in the live auction, and yeah. and even that took well over what an yeah, hour, that hour took, and a half. That took almost two hours, man, getting all that done, but. It was yeah. it was worth it. It was a good time. A lot of yeah. Mike Arnold, man, he was he was killing me during that auction. Oh <laughs> was... yeah, Mike Mike was hilarious. Which, by the way, uh, let me also give Mike Arnold and Reptiles Express a shout out because yeah. uh, Anna Mitchell drove all the auction items that need to be shipped. She drove them back to Atlanta, mm-hmm. and Mike Arnold and Reptiles Express are shipping them all out oh, around the nice. country. So a big shout out to them. Yeah, I don't think Mike knew what he was getting into because he was. <laughs> He was slightly inebriated by the end of the evening, <laughs> and I said to him, he was he was just resting in Anna's rental car. Um, I think just you know, just kind of having a moment to himself. And yeah. I went over and I said, "Hey, Mike, would you mind if if Anna doesn't mind, would you would you be okay if I had these items, you know, driven back up?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I don't care. Whatever you want, mate. It's fine with me." <laughs> and uh, and I asked Anna, and she said it was. She's like, as long as it fits in the back seat, I'm fine. Well, man, I filled that entire back seat, like from the floorboards to the ceiling. <laughs> I filled it completely. Oh my god! And uh, I don't think Mike knew what he was getting into till the next day when he sobered up and uh, found out how much <laughs> stuff was in the back seat of that rental car because it was a lot. Oh man, that's funny. Jeez. Yeah, man, Mike, that dude's a that dude's a freaking trip, man. He's he's oh, funny. he was hilarious. Him and Eric Burke did a great job. Oh on man, yeah. I ended up winning more stuff than I realized. <laughs> you know that happened to me last year. I kept bidding on stuff just to bid it up on people, 
And then when we closed out the auction, I kept getting all these little notifications. You've won another item. You've won another item. Uh, and well, I was a on the hook for a lot of now. stuff last year. So, yeah. I just, I was bidding on stuff. I was like, there's no way I'm going to win this. You know, like the bag of Missouri rodent diet. My dad breeds mice. I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll bid on that. And, you know, he'll, he'll use it. And I was yeah. like, there's no way I'm going to win this thing. And I was yeah. like, hey, you won. <laughs> I won five more of those Bassett jars. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, you won I, a lot of those. Thinking I would get outbid, I was like, "Hey, Jeez. you won these too." I was like, "Oh my god!" And then I won the box at the actual auction, and then I won the three jars online too. And it just three of those jars I gave. I gave one to Billy. I gave one to Stephen Tyrell. I gave one to Dave Scheisterman. Nice. Because I was like, I have four of these things. I have no, like, yeah. can you, I don't even know where to put one. So I was like, I'm going to give them to fellow Conjo guys. And, you know, it was like, they can enjoy like, them. Yeah, even, even the five that I won that I still have to get from Mike, I was like, dude, you bid on them if you want them. Like, you can keep them. Like, literally, I just, <laughs> I was donating to the cause. Yeah. You know? Like, if you want any of them, feel free to keep them. I said, if you know any Conjo guys up there that would be interested in them, like, give them to them. Yeah. You know, if not, I'll just have someone pick them up at Columbia. He was yeah. like, dude, I don't have anywhere to put these either. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'll, pick, I'll pick them up in Columbia when, when I go. But, I mean, they I mean, might that, be cool. That's some Conjo history right I there. I know. Yeah, man. I just sure. want to give it to more other Conjo guys, man. Share, share the... Share the love. Yeah. The real Morelia guys. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't Not even, those Popwin jokers. Don't even get me started. Carpet the papayans. Oh no. my god! Uh, again, uh, again yeah. with this. <laughs> we call them Erian pies now. Erian pies. <laughs> anyway, so now enough about carpet vest. Ian, we know you keep a lot of snakes. You're like the arboreal guy, the arboreal master. If you will. Do you even keep anything that's not that doesn't ground sound dwelling? Um I mean I guess Tanzania are like almost like yeah. semi arboreal. Kinda counts. I, I wanna mean, hear I wanna hear considered about a those. tree boa, but they're like they're they're almost like semi arboreal. And those are the Madagascar, right? The Madagascar tree mm-hmm. boas? Okay. Yep. Correct. So. Those are so cool, man. The heads on those things just look weird. I don't know what it is. They look super cool to me. Whenever I look at they, their head with those heat pits just looks yeah different than any other snake yeah have, in the world. They have kind of a menacing look to them, you know. Like they're oh, they're so freaking cool, man. They're awesome. But yeah, I'm I'm really liking those. Um, I, I haven't been working with them for that long, and I've only got a couple pairs of them. But mm-hmm. they are they're really cool. I'll tell you one thing: they never refuse food. Ever, nice. I, I, they would probably eat while they were shedding. They just they they're they're like garbage disposals. They never refuse food at all. That's awesome. Um, are they okay with like frozen thawed and all that garbage? Oh yeah, yeah. my whole collection is is on frozen thawed. Nice. So I hardly ever feed anything. But it's it's only the very exception you know when i've got a baby that's a stubborn feeder or an animal right. that just won't eat anything but that i feed anything other than frozen thawed so um, yeah they they eat frozen thawed no problem they nice. uh they just they don't mess around when it comes to food very i nice. was listening uh, i think it was from the ground up they had joe uh jason hood on and i think he used to breed those and he's like man there was a point where i couldn't give those things away really he's like nobody wanted them he said you could they weren't that hard to get 
And then for whatever reason, they kind of just disappeared, like fell off the grid. Mm-hmm. And now they're like hot again and nobody can get them. Yeah. And he's like, but before, yeah. like literally I bred those things. He's like, literally, I could not sell them. Like no one wanted them. Jeez. So strange. That's crazy. <laughs> I think they're just an insane looking yeah. snake, man. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, you know, the, the, the whole backstory, but I've heard that there was a time when there were some, I guess, crackdowns on possession of them. And, some, hmm. you know, some of that Madagascan wildlife has some pretty strict regulation on it in terms of possession or exportation, mm-hmm. importation mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And so my understanding was that at one point a bunch of people had them and then a couple of people got in trouble and, you know, I don't want to name names. So, you know, you can do your research and look it up some of the stories I've heard. But I guess when that happened, a bunch of people that had them just got rid of them. You know, they, they wanted out of them. They just didn't want to possess them. And there, there's actually two different species. So there's there's the Sanzinia or the Mandarin uh, variety. And then there's the green Sanzinia. And my understanding is Madagascar is, you know, kind of split by a mountain range. And one side is arid and one side is is you know wet and mm-hmm. so the greens are from the wet side and the the mandarins are from the dry side and what's interesting is here in the u.s hardly anyone has the greens you can you can hardly even find them mm-hmm. find anyone that's working with them and anyone who is if they produce any it's you know forget it there's not even a list to get on it's yeah. just a pipe dream um but there's a decent number of people working with the mandarins but in europe it's the opposite I guess everyone has the greens, but they can't get the mandarins. And there's such specific regulations on Madagascan wildlife in particular, these guys, that I guess it's very difficult to get them from the U.S. to Europe or vice versa. So uh-huh. we've got, you know, the opposite problems. And it would be great if we could just trade a little bit. Yeah. But, um, no, it, it was okay. It, like it's doable. It wasn't Jason Hood. It was the episode with Jeff Lem. Oh, Jeff okay. Lem was the one who was breeding. I was trying to think. I was like, that was recent. That was that was more recent than mm. that, but yeah, Jeff Lem, same thing. He's like, couldn't give him away. It's crazy. Yeah, I've heard so stories funny. that like at the ham show in Germany, that green Cincinnati are like three hundred bucks a piece, and they're all over the place. And Jeez. Here, I, I can't even find one to try to buy, let alone you know find one for three hundred dollars. Dang. I feel man. like the same thing kind of happened with Amazon's though at one point because I remember years ago when I was yeah. keeping Amazon's like. Finding them was not that hard. Yeah, I captive would, bred ones weren't that they expensive. Were, and they were like a hundred bucks. They disappeared, I remember, and no one was keeping them. And then all of a sudden, I remember going to again. I remember going to the Columbia Repticon like back when I was younger with like my mom. My mom would take me because I would bug her until she'd take me to any of these shows because I couldn't drive. And uh, we finally, you know, we went to one, and uh, I remember seeing Amazon Trebos, and some guy was telling me about them. He's like, yeah, these are kind of a put-in-the-tank-and-leave-alone species. You don't really mess with it, blah, blah, blah. But it was just, you know, a, a darker garden phase. You know, Amazon was like 100 bucks. you know? I got two nothing. of them. I got a little, a really nice little, they were both neonates, mm-hmm. but I got one that was a nice brick red. It was mm-hmm. like sixty bucks. Yeah, and I got another one that was like a Halloween that was like eighty. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's what it was—a Halloween. The one I saw. I was like, dude. <laughs> but now, now, but now man, those yeah. those red. I saw. I've seen some red ones go for like four hundred. He's bucks, been obsessing man. over this one oh, red man. one in particular lately. Sky selling. I want it so freaking bad, man. I don't have the money for that crap though. Yeah, the 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 solid red, patternless red ones are are oh. very sought after and. They're, they're they're not easy to find, especially the ones with the bright red eyes, and, and they saw, go for a pretty penny. Yeah, um, there's there's somebody selling one recently. I follow on Instagram. He's asking like four hundred bucks for it, and I was like, 
Oh, I wish I could pull the trigger on that there because that's kind of like what, you know, because me and Justin have a couple of Amazons together and um, that's kind of the, the, at least the way I want to go with it. I don't know how Smitty over here feels about it, but I want to go more for the red stuff and we have a really nice red female from Harlan Wall that we got and when I saw that male for sale, I was like, man, that'd be, that's a perfect, you know, uh, match for her, but there will be, there will be more. So. Whatever happened, there was one guy years ago. I think he had a website. It was AmazonTreebows.com, if I'm not mistaken. I think his last name was Henderson. Maybe Mike. And he had a website. Yeah, I don't know. And he had some really cool stuff forever ago. And then he just kind of disappeared. I wanted he was. It was like it seemed sort of like a Greg Maxwell sort of a similar like uh, situation where he was like the guy for Amazons, and then he just disappeared. Right. You know, that happens a lot. People come in and out of the hobby, <clears throat> in and out of the community, and you just, you know, you never know. But I, I've only really been into the Amazons for a couple of years now, so I don't know a lot of the guys. You know, yeah, this back. was a long, this was like, what year is it right now? It's 2019. This would have been like mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. This was a minute ago. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I've just been keeping Amazons now for. I don't know, probably maybe two years, three years, something like that. Now, have you produced Amazons before? Have you read them? So I have not had any Amazons that have been produced here. Okay. Uh, I have had some animals that I've sent out on breeding loan that have produced. Okay. But and and had the neonates sent here that I've established, but I haven't had any actually drop here yet. Okay. Uh, we do have a couple pairs together right now and seen quite a bit of breeding activity so i'm hoping that maybe we'll have some s and j amazons sometime in 2019 but you just you never know how that goes so right. fingers crossed but it's, it's a little too early to tell at this point right so we know that you know you've been on you were on several podcasts before um before carpet fest came on and I'm sure, you know, because anybody who knows you knows you're more focused on the green tree python side of things than, than anything else. Um, so I kind of figured with this one, since I know, you know, you were on several, we could kind of look at more at the, the Amazon tree bow and Sanzania uh, side of um, kind of side of your collection. And uh, what I'm wondering is, you know, if you don't mind sharing what your, your process is for breeding Amazon tree boas, because I know I've heard of a couple of people having trouble, you know, pairing theirs up and not really knowing the best route to go with that. So I was wondering if you were uh, willing to share your, uh, your tactic for that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about Amazons, Corrales in general. Uh -huh. I... Uh, Obviously, I, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more known for green tree pythons, right. and I've been somewhat successful with them the last few years, but the Corrales is, is really just something new the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So we've added a number of species, the Hortolanus, we've added Caninus, we've added Annulatus, and, and even some Rishenbergeri, and then also the, the one species, the, the Mandarin Sanzinia, mm -hmm. um, and it's just been... A pleasure to work with all of them quite frankly it's part of it is because they're not conjurers so mm -hmm. there's a lot of things about them that are uh that are nice to work with the the live bearing and so not having to deal with the eggs and mm -hmm. and all of that but also after having produced chondros for for a couple years in a row it was it was nice to work with some species that are just different that i haven't produced so at this point i haven't successfully produced any corrales so mm -hmm. i've really can't say that any of my techniques are 
you know, the way that I'm doing it is, is the right way. Um, in fact, I, I've probably made some mistakes already and, and trying to learn from those and refine things. So it's, it's really kind of been a, a learning process for me and kind of trying to figure out how do I adapt what's worked for green tree pythons to work for this other group of arboreals that are similar but a little bit different. Uh-huh. And for sure, one thing that I've already noticed, and it seems kind of across the board with with all the Corallus species, is they don't necessarily need the temps to be as high. So uh-huh. usually for my, for my green trees, uh, I'm targeting a, a basking spot or a hot spot, probably more like mid to high 80s, so 85 to 87. Uh-huh. And it seems with the Corallus and the Cinzinia, they just don't need it to be quite that warm. So I'm still kind of trying to narrow in the, the temperature range, but it seems like probably more like, you know, 82 to 85 or 83 to 85. So probably a little bit cooler than the green trees. Mm-hmm. Obviously, depending on the species, certainly the Hortolanus, they're, they're not quite as arboreal as the, the green trees are. Mm-hmm. You know, a green tree is a snake on a stick for for most of the day, um, but the the Amazons just they don't they don't perch like that really at all. Right. So, what I've done is I'm using some of the same caging as I do for the green trees. But what I've done is I've taken the you know the large four inch corrugated black piping that you get at Home Depot yeah, and Lowe's. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. comes in. I don't know, here in like 10 foot sections or a whole roll or whatever. Yeah. So I'll take a piece of that and depending on the size of the cage or the snake, um, you know, maybe somewhere between eight and 12 inches of that. And I'll actually attach it to the perch. Uh-huh. So it becomes an arboreal hide. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll actually take another piece of that same corrugated pipe and I'll cut it lengthwise. So it makes a, like a, a little hide and I'll put that on the ground. Uh-huh. And for the most part during the day, those, those Amazons are either under that piece of pipe using it as a hide or they're, they're in the, they're in that arboreal hide. Mm-hmm. So pretty much with a chondro during the day, you look in there and all you see is a green snake on a stick with a, with the Amazons, you just see an empty cage all the time. Right. And I, <laughs> so, I, I um, think it's, I think it's funny, you know, when I look at, you know, the, the Moralia side versus the Corallus side, the green tree pythons and the emeralds are, you know, virtually a, a match as far as how they how they're out and about, you know. And then the carpet pythons and the amazons are kind of the same way, you know, still semi arboreal, but they're not as, you know, they're not just sitting on a stick all day. You know, I think it's kind of funny how they they overlap as far as you know the the behavior of them, you know, in their environment. Exactly, and and even at night, a lot of the the amazons won't necessarily come out of that arboreal hide, but mm-hmm. they hang their head out of it. Oh, and okay. So you know, you go to feed them, and they'll just snatch a prey item, and then they pull <laughs> it right back in that hide. Yeah. So it's almost like you know, it's almost like a tarantula, and it's little, you know, with the trap door, it comes out, grabs something, pulls it right back right, in. Right. Yeah. And I remember the the first time I went out to California and visited Rory. Um, you want to talk about like an awesome Amazon collection? Um, you know, Rory, Rory's got just some of the most amazing calico stuff you've ever seen, and he had these huge. Um, tub rack systems and um, the first time I went out he had you know all these perches he had just moved and so the, the cages weren't all quite set up the way he wanted them yet and they had perching more like what I've got now and um, 
it was cool just to kind of see his setup. And then the second time I went to visit him, he was like, oh, man, now I got everything set up just the way I like. And I was like, awesome, let me let me check everything out. And every one of the, the tubs had a big cork tube in it. Mm-hmm. And there were and you couldn't see any snakes. All Like, there were no <laughs> snakes anywhere. Jeez. You know, the first time I went and there were perches, the snakes were all, you know, they were draped. They weren't like standard, um, you know, like straight perches, but it was mm-hmm. like, you know, crisscross perches and, so the Amazons were more like draped across them. Uh-huh. So you could see all of his animals. And the second time I went out and all I saw was empty tubs with cork tubes in it. There was like <laughs> no snakes anywhere. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, man, I got this huge box of cork tubes and I put them in and he's like, the snakes love them, but I don't see my snakes ever. They're just, <laughs> they're just like looking at empty tubs. So uh, yeah. he, I think he once described them to me as, you know, Amazons are kind of like corn snakes. You know, they, they just, they, they like to hide, and they, they're kind of semi-arboreal. They spend a decent amount of time on the ground, actually. Mm-hmm. A lot of mine will, you know, they'll, they'll go down on the ground and hang out in that little hide that I give them on the ground. And so I think in terms of, like, setup, certainly, you know, a chondro, you would never expect to see a chondro on the ground. You're never going to a chondro a hide on the ground. And so that's one thing for sure is all my Amazons, whether they're little ones or or adults, I try to give them a hide. Um, as far as breeding them, you know, so far my approach has been kind of similar to chondros, which is pair them until you get eggs. I mean, yeah. that's, that's kind of my philosophy with chondros. So yeah. with the Amazons, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing kind of the same type of approach. So I've, I've identified which ones I want to pair together for the season, and I just keep introducing them and then separate them periodically to feed them and give them a break and then just reintroduce them until there's just definitely no interest at all. And what it seems is when you put them together, if they're at least compatible in terms of not going to try to kill each other. Mm-hmm. They'll just hang out in the same hide together. Mm-hmm. And so as long as I'm seeing that they're kind of cool with each other, then I'll leave them together. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes it's really kind of hard to see what's going on tube because you look on either end and it's just like spaghetti you know i can't tell <laughs> i can't tell which parts are lined up with which parts and yeah with the conjurers because they're always they're always visible it's pretty easy to tell if you got if you've got them locking up or not or if they're on opposite sides of the cage or not but when you've got amazons get big people i don't think realize it but like i've got one female that's well over a thousand grams wow. you know they get six seven foot long so when you've got a 12 inch piece of corrugated pipe and you got two four to six foot snakes all jammed in that little mm-hmm. 12 inches of pipe like yeah you just you have no idea like are they locking are they breeding are yeah. they hating each other like are they I just figure stuck? if they're in the pipe together yeah yeah, if yeah or are they just stuck and they can't get out yeah <laughs> i figure if, if they're in the pipe together and they're not what what i usually do is so because the, the pipe is attached to the perch i'll take the the whole pipe with the perch attached out mm-hmm. of one cage and stick it in the other cage so now there's actually two hides plus the one on the ground so then if i come back the next day and both snakes are in one hide together i figure that they like each other are you keeping your adults in pvc cages like your chondras or do you have them in something else i've got most of them in pvc cages like the chondras okay so I've got a few that are in tubs like in racks also like the chondras mm. but the same thing i just Put the the corrugated pipe on the the perch the same exact way uh so what what i basically did is you know i'm only allotted a, a fixed amount of square footage in my house that i'm allowed to use for snakes <laughs> so 
when I decided that I wanted to venture outside of Green Tree Pythons, I had to find species that I could use the same equipment that I already had. Yeah. Right. Because I don't have the option of being like, oh, I'm going to change out caging or I'm going to get mm -hmm. different racks. or. Mm. So basically all of the species that I work with, I'm able to use the same baby racks, the same grow out racks, and the same adult racks or PVC cages. And so I just have to kind of adapt them. So it's either a change in temperature or change in, um, you know, in this case, the perching versus the, the hides. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, it's, it's a very similar setup. That's super cool. Because you have the you have Amazons, you have annulateds, and you have the blacktails, which are the rushies. Um, yep, and and then also caninus, right? The northern emerald tree boas. And so I've heard kind of I've heard the annulatus are are they maybe I'm getting it mixed up with something else, but the the annulateds are are a little more mellow than the Amazons. You know, I, I don't know where exactly that started. <laughs> That's that not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot. I love that everybody thinks uh -oh. that. What did we lose? Did I lose you guys? Yeah, no, lost well, it, well, we lost you for a second. I think we're, we're, we got it now. Hold on a second. Puppy dog team. And the meanest snake in my collection right now is a big female Aru. <laughs> and well, one of the worst bites I ever took from a Conjuro, well, probably the worst one I ever took here was from a Sarong. So I've also heard sarongs are supposed to be mellow. And probably the worst one I've ever taken at someone else's collection. I don't know if you met him at Carpet Fest, but Steven Spear, he's up in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I was at his place like a year or year and a half ago taking pictures of conjurers. And that Aru came up over my phone and bit me just under the eye. Like oh. right in the face. Yeah. Eesh. And so I always kind of chuckle when people are like, oh, I want a Melochondra. What should I get? And people say, oh, the best locality for Melochondras is Aru's. Oh my God. And then I always laugh because I'm like, yeah, I've got one here that will bite your face off. And I've got another <laughs> one that literally bit me in the face. So um, I, was pulling I, I, eggs. Heard... I was pulling eggs from mine the other day and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I thought I'm she was like, going to oh, nail God. you, dude. I honestly Don't do it. did. <laughs> I've well, yet to know, get hit by any of mine. Uh, you know, I've been bit by enough of them that I don't like getting bit by any of them at this point. Yeah, so, it's just, but yeah. I, I've pulled eggs from Biox and not gotten bit. And like she I didn't said, even try. I mean, she didn't that... even she didn't even take a swing. So, yeah, there's a video that I've got on my page pulling eggs from a Biox. I think two years ago, and everybody thought that I was going to get bitten it, and of course I didn't, and it went viral. And later on, I found out the reason it went viral is because everyone was expecting me to get bit. So <laughs> apparently people just really like seeing other people get bit by snakes. But oh, so man. going back to your question about the annulatus, though. So yeah, I I had heard the same thing that annulatus are just super puppy dog tame, whatever. And so I met Terry Burwell at Carpet Fest, actually, at Bill Stiegel's place in Texas a couple years ago, and then saw him again at carpet fest at tony jerome's place and he had been breeding annulatus and i'd really been wanting to get some so i finally was able to hook up with terry and get a pair and i will tell you those things were originally in quarantine and they were like the most ferocious corrales i'd ever seen <laughs> Jeez, they man. were they literally would hit the front glass every time i walked by i don't know maybe terry was like training them to be psycho snakes or something <laughs> before he sent them to me but they were the most ferocious things and Literally, like, you know, they would, if I, if I walked by the cage, it hit the front of the glass. If I tried to uh, just, you know, open the cage really slowly to go in there and try to change water, they were trying to tag me. 
one of them, you know, wrapped up the paper towel one time because it was just so, so aggressive, a feeding response. And Jeez. so I have heard that annulatus are really chill, but. You have yet to have a snake that yours aren't. <laughs> yeah, mine are not super <laughs> chill. Now, I will say that as they've gotten a little bit bigger and I've gotten a little more used to them, and maybe they've gotten a little more used to me, I think most of the aggression that I see from them is more feeding response than than mm-hmm. aggression because once I get them out of the tub and they were in cages before and when they were in the, the cages they were they were psycho and now they're in tubs and they seem a little bit more chill and once mm-hmm. I get them out they're they're pretty manageable and I can handle them but the, the initial response when I pull that tub open is always food yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's how I describe um, I've got a uh, super caramel jag that um, his neuro is pretty substantial but he doesn't recognize anything from food like if anything warm touches him he's gonna give he's gonna bite it and, it has a pulse. and try he to can eat, eat it. it and he's gonna try and eat it you know i tell people like he's not mean he's not an aggressive snake he just has an insane food response like he doesn't recognize you know <laughs> what is not food and yes he will bite the crap out of you and he will try to eat your hand if you let him get a hold of you <laughs> but you know it's it's not an aggression thing all the time it's food <laughs> Well, I'm super, yeah. I'm super jealous of the, the Rushis you got, man. I've wanted some of those since I first saw them in Reptiles Magazine years and years and years ago. I remember seeing pictures of me like, that is the coolest thing ever. And I heard yeah, you got so the, some. The Rushis, so jealous. Yeah, the Rushis, um, you know, so that's the biggest species in the, the whole Corrales mm-hmm. complex. Um, uh, the the Rushis, though, are actually not here. They're They're up at a buddy's place, so... Uh, I've got those guys up on breeding loan with uh, Keith McPeak in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So we did get a small litter, and he sent the babies down to me to get established down here. So unfortunately, I haven't gotten to work with the adults yet, just the little ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been up to Keith's place a few times to to visit them, and they are they're just stunning. You know, they are yeah. really cool. They they just they they remind me a little bit of uh, of Krebos. Mm-hmm. Just they're they're really big and and they've got that just dramatic change from you know like this yellow kind of speckled pattern down to just jet black on the tail and they uh, they're they're definitely impressive too they they they've got some size to them. They just look like there's it's um I'm, I'm I wish there were more people doing stuff with them because there's really not that many people in the country that are keeping them let alone breeding them. And I think no, uh, no, yeah. they're, they're definitely a, a niche animal. Uh, part of it is the fact that when they're neonates, they're they're pretty ugly, so mm-hmm. they're they're yeah. just kind of like a brown snake. They uh, they really don't get impressive looking until they get bigger, and and they're they're from a pretty wide range. So the ones that we have, uh, they are Costa Rican locality, mm-hmm. and it seems like most of the ones in the country are Costa Rican locality. But there's also a, a pretty dramatic. Um, phenotype that's from uh, venezuela and then kind of like the the holy grail which is pretty much unattainable are the ones from trinidad tobago so those some of those are just like golden yellow and mm-hmm. there's just some crazy phenotypes on that end of the range i think nick mutton had some of those years ago uh but i, I don't know that there's anyone in the country working with that locality at this point but there's there's definitely a lot more to be learned about ruschenberger both in terms of the, just the the phenotype and the range of phenotypes mm-hmm. and uh and also just you know what's possible in terms of the the captive breeding with those so it would be cool to have more people working with them but there's 
there's just so few of them in the country yeah. to begin with. So I, uh, I'd love to, to get some more. And I would love to find somebody that's got some other localities as well, because the, like I said, the ones that we're working with are Costa Rican locality. And it seems like most of the ones in the country uh, and most of the ones that come into the country are Costa Rican. So I think a lot of them come from Quetzal. I think he's producing them down at his facility in Costa Rica. So mm-hmm. uh, it would be cool. I, I don't know, you know, what the, the exports like, but I don't, I don't think we see a whole lot of wildlife that comes in from either Venezuela or Trinidad these days. No. Yeah. Well, hopefully I can get my hands on some one day. They're just, they're so cool looking, man. They're just that, the yeah. black half. They're super you know, they're cool. Just, their eyes are pretty cool. Yeah. They're, uh, they're pretty sweet. <clears throat> I tell you, man, I probably want some of those Sanzania more than anything as far as, you know, the boas. See, those are like blackheads, man, for those, me. They just kind of look like they're cool, they've, they've but they don't really do it for out, me. They've always stuck out to me, man. If I can find, if I can find some for... Yeah, relatively affordable. I might have to, might have to jump on that. The heads. I saw somebody down. posted. There's a, I think it was a 2014 male uh, that was produced by Bill Hughes. I just saw posted up on Facebook. I think today or yesterday. Huh. So there you go, J- Jacob. What are yeah, they I'm going for now? Though? I, don't, I have no. Um. Idea. So I think <clears throat> that one was posted. I think for 1,200. Oof. A, a four-year-old. <laughs> it was a four-year-old U.S. captive bred male. Yeah, that's. Man. That sounds about right. Yeah, where are, I, that's a I, lot I've, of chondros. There's that's, that's um, a lot of chondro money, buddy. Doesn't Harlan still import those? I don't think so. I right. thought Harlan. I've, I don't I, think anybody imports them anymore. I don't no. think anybody's importing those. I mean, uh, Madagascar. Have they closed? Have they closed down? I couldn't remember. <clears throat> yeah, I right. think all the the Sanzinia that you're seeing now are are, are all bread. pretty much U.S. captive or born because uh, I don't even yeah. think that you can get them in from Europe. Okay, I got gotcha, you. They're following gotcha. that same path that Brettles are. It's just like yep. same handful of bloodlines just floating around. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of animals like that that are available from the wild for a long time, and then just one day they get closed down, and people don't pay a lot of attention to them. They're they're super inexpensive, and then all of a sudden they're not available, and no one can get them, and the price skyrockets. And yep. you know, it's it's only a matter of time till that happens with a lot of the stuff that we like, whether it be the, you know, the stuff from South America or the stuff from Indo. Uh-huh. I can't imagine, you know, how long that wild harvest is going to be sustainable. Yeah, man. That, and that, you know, we talked about it on, um, from the ground up, you know, me and Justin were talking about how, you know, Indo could close their doors to importation, you know, any day. So yeah, I know I've been talking to, um, I've been talking to a couple people and just trying to get, trying to get all the, the, Load import, up, the, stock up the now. imported you know ij blood we can get because i mean it's it's not going to be around forever and you know we got to take advantage of it while we can i'm trying to get all the the wild caught blood as possible even f1s and stuff like that um we got to try and keep you know some of those other bloodlines going around and keep fresh blood moving around for sure and i feel like the same goes for you know chondros you know i definitely think more people need to take advantage of getting some of these you know imported animals even though yeah i know you're gonna come it's gonna be a pain you know leave it to you know some of the professionals who know what they're doing as far as you know quarantine and you know getting you know internal parasites out and whatnot and don't get me wrong i know it's i know it can be hard but I feel like for the future of you know the hobby, it's it's extremely important for people to to bring in that that wild caught blood. You know, um, I mean, even if Indo closes, 
Like that's going to be a huge hit to the hobby as a whole because there's yeah. a lot of people that you know the basis they of their make business a living is, off is animals coming in yeah. from Indo, and it's a very big chunk of the species we keep come from you know that that area. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, hey, and you know it's not just the wildlife laws, but you've got the politics involved. You've got the the trade agreements. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'd love to see Ruschenberger act from Venezuela, but. Mm-hmm. The United States and yeah, Venezuela. We know that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, politically, we're not on very good terms with one another. So forget trying to trade wildlife. You know, uh-huh. it's uh, that and on the, uh, they're on the verge of implosion. Exactly. So it's uh, it's just one of those things where you just never know. And and granted, I think people have speculated that you know places like Indo will be closed for for years or decades now. But uh-huh. you know, it, it certainly could happen literally any day. And and the same thing for the stuff that we get from whether it be Suriname or Guyana. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there, you know, they, there could be a change in policy. There could be a change in, in politics. There could be a change in whatever regulations. And and one day it's it's all right, and the next day it may not be. And mm-hmm. you know, there's there's certainly plenty of places in the world that that are completely closed. I mean, right. look at all the cool stuff in Australia that we'd all like to get our hands on. But you know, it's not even a matter of whether the stuff is available or, or prolific or you know there's just not it's just off limits mm-hmm. yeah that's... well it makes sense for them too because if they have another like cane toad situation you know their 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 whole system's really delicate to anything like that mm-hmm. so it's not necessary i don't think it's necessarily like us being protected from whatever they're sending out it's them being protected from whatever people get in mm-hmm. you know. yeah you don't want to see ball pythons roaming in the uh, Cape York Peninsula, eating all the uh, <laughs> small mammals or whatever it is they got running around. Uh, unless there. they could teach them to eat cane toads, in which case then yeah. they'd, they'd import them by the million. Yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, so going back to Annulatus, though, uh, so I do have the one pair from Terry Burwell. I'm growing those up. They uh, they do have kind of an interesting phenotype with a lot of white speckling. So. Mm-hmm be kind of cool to see what happens with those but I'm, I'm really excited because in the spring when the weather warms up I've got a, a male coming from Tim Morris and uh, that's one of those colored ones so also going to be kind of cool to see what we can do with that so the the annulatus project I would say is, is really kind of a smaller project here but hoping to add a couple more over the next year or so and see what we can't get going you know I I, I kind of take a similar approach to, to a lot of other guys, and I grow stuff pretty slow. I'm not in a, a rush. I don't see any reason to, to push them. Right. I've got plenty of other animals that are ahead of them on the breeding schedule, so those guys I'm just going to take my time with and grow them up, and in a few years, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll see what we can do with those. So how many sure. of each species do you have in the of, as far as the genus goes? Like how many How many of each are you currently keeping? Yeah, so the Ruschenberger eyes, uh, we just have one adult pair. Um, so again, that, that's a rather small project. The Annulatus, I've got just the one pair from Terry right now, and adding another one from Tim. The um, the Caninus, the Northern Emerald Tree Boas, those I've gone a little bit deeper on. <laughs> so um, those also, I'm working on some breeding loans with Keith McPeak. So mm-hmm. most of my adults are up at his place in New Jersey. Um, I, again, I've got some confines in terms of square footage and cage space here. So mm-hmm. um, Use other people's. 
<laughs> so w- working with some partners that you can trust is, is always really nice. Uh, oh, yeah, so sure. so the adults are up there at Keith. I do have a number of, of small ones here that I've been growing up. So I've got a couple that are from uh, from Mike Barrera. I've got a couple that are from um, from DFW Reptarium. I got a couple that are from 401 Reptiles, Ray, and uh, I've got an Anaconda that's from Bill Hughes. So, you know, growing up a few of the smaller ones that I've picked up over the last couple of years and Mm -hmm. again, growing them slow and and those will be future breeders. I I had plenty of grow out space. I just didn't have a lot of adult space because adult cages are full of green tree pythons. So, um, (laughs) so those also, you know, we, we've got some, some potential litters on those hopefully later this year we had some breeding last year uh so hopefully we will have some some u.s captive born and bred northern emerald or cross caninus available later this year and unfortunately they they won't be born here but i'll probably be establishing all those as well and then probably the ones that i've I've got the most of are the the amazons so the hortolanus they uh i think that that's actually one of the more underappreciated snakes in the hobby certainly on the arboreal side and i just kind of fell in love with those things so there's they're kind of they remind me a lot of conjurers because there's a lot not really understood about them in terms Mm -hmm. of the genetics on the breeding side yeah phenotypically there's just every color and spectrum pretty much except green um, seems to be you know the color palette and you similar to conjures you put two animals together and you really don't know what you're going to get because you can put two animals together and the babies look nothing like the adults or they look everything like the adults or they look like something completely different Mm -hmm. so um i've got quite a few of the hortolanus now and uh, i don't even know what the number is up to but i've got (laughs) some little ones um so, so I also had some of those on breeding loan up at Keith's place, and so we've we've got some little ones that that he produced uh, last year. I've got um, some that are from a couple of other people that are 2017s. I've got some that are 2016s. I've mm-hmm. got some adults. I've got some tigers. I've got some possible hypos. I've got some Jeez. red line animals, some bicolor animals. Balling out right now. Yeah, the ones that I think are probably the coolest, uh, and I posted some pictures today, are uh, these animals that are from a red line that goes back to Rico Walder. Mm-hmm. So, well, I didn't even know that Rico kept Amazons until just recently, and uh, it was actually so Dennis McNamara uh, hooked me up with a buddy of his uh, through the zoo community that he was getting some Amazons from. And uh, so I, I was able to pick up some Amazons from this guy at Tinley. And they were awesome, and you know I'm totally stoked about the animals that I got. But at the time, I didn't know the lineage on them, uh-huh. and so it was only maybe six or eight weeks ago. I was like, "Oh man, I really need to fill out their data cards." So I was messaging with the guy, and, and he's like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, those two that you got are that that were from the red line, actually go back to to Rico Walder at Signal Herp, and he sent me some of the lineage info and." And then lo and behold, there's a picture of like the, the, the dam and it's one of Rico's pictures. It's got all of his nomenclature on the top and everything. And I was just blown away by it because, like I said, I, I knew that he worked with green trees and with emeralds, but I had no idea that he even worked with Amazon. So uh, those two animals are probably right now kind of like favorites of mine in the Amazon group because, uh-huh. you know, they've got kind of uh, 
a cool lineage to them, and they're they're half sibs. So I wish I would have known at the time because I would have tried to buy any others that he had in that from those litters because just to know that they were, you know, from Rico animals would have been you know really cool. So um, I've got some other Amazons coming from from a couple of other people and you know pretty much trying to tap into you know the tiger, the the hypo, the calico phenotypes. But what I what I really like are just the the solid color patternless animals. Mm-hmm. So. I've got some that are, you know, just patternless yellows, and they're patternless reds, and they're patternless orange, and uh, that that's kind of the the phenotype that I really like personally. And then right. the calico, the tiger, the hypos, and hopefully, maybe if I'm lucky, one day maybe we'll produce a leucistic as well. So Jeez. that um that's kind of like the the long term plan, I guess. But that's kind of the holy grail for for everyone working with Amazons, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I saw my first. Leucistic at Daytona last year, so it was um, a Chris McQuaid animal that that someone else at the show had brought up to try to sell for him, mm-hmm. I guess. And so I kind of I had to like make special arrangements to see it at the hotel like the night before the show or whatever. And the thing was just amazing. It was like no Amazon I've ever seen before. So Jeez. hopefully maybe one day I'll be able to to produce something like that. That would be really cool. But uh, the tigers are are really awesome, and I've got a number of tigers in the collection that came from Keith McPeak, and um, we're going to be adding in the spring, hopefully a couple of animals from Rory, get some of his uh, tiger calico blood in, included into the the group, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we'll just have to see what 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 the possibilities are. It's it's one of those things just like the condors, you put them together and and you really have no idea what you're going to get. So you right. put two yellow patternless animals together and you know maybe you get yellow patternless babies but maybe you get something totally different who knows i'd like to see a, a patternless black amazon tree boa that would be they pretty cool some. They, they have uh, yeah, a I, leopard yeah there's some leopard related so there genes. there is a leopard um I, I don't think there's a ton really understood about the leopard because it seems like the leopards are more and and then I might be messing this all up because, like I said, I've only been working with Amazons for a couple of years, and the genetics are still kind of confusing to me. But the the leopard seems to always be associated with the garden phase. Yeah. So you know, a lot of people have tried to produce colored leopards, and it seems like the the leopard pattern just it seems like it's more associated with the garden color mm-hmm. uh, than it is with like an orange or a yellow. But Rory produced this year, or, or I should say last year. I believe the first ever liger, so leopard tiger mm-hmm. combo, and uh, um, and they looked really really pretty crazy looking, like you know something totally new. So, but I thought that there was a picture that circulated around that I saw somewhere on Facebook of a, a like almost like a jet black looking Amazon. Yeah. But there's also calico. Um, there's also uh, paradox Amazons. So you know I think that there's still a lot to be done oh, with sure. Amazons, and when you look at kind of the the range of colors that you can find them, you know, almost from white to black, so to speak. Right. It seems like there's there's almost like a limitless possibility, and uh, what some people are doing with them is just amazing. You know, like Rory's calico line, his whole thing is he's trying to reduce or eliminate all the black in his. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually think that some of the ones with the black are really pretty crazy, cool yeah, looking. It, I'm, so I would I'm, almost want more black. Yeah, so. I'm I'm looking at some pictures on just on Google right now at some you know some really dark ones and holy shit, man, these things are. 
See, look, me, me personally, I like really dark animals. Anything that has a lot of black in it, you know, especially if it's like a, a polygenic trait or line bred, then I, I'm all about it, man. If it's really, really dark, I, I like it, and I dig some of the stuff that I'm seeing right now. But that's that's insane, man. Yeah, you know, it's uh, there's just so much range of, of possibilities mm-hmm. there. If you go to Rory's site, he's Canopy Labs. Uh, you know, you look at some of the stuff that he's got, it's just insane looking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another another person who's got awesome Amazons, uh, Abby, uh, she's got just some amazing animals. I know she's kind of, her her current, uh, her current obsession is more four-legged horses uh, kind of animals, but uh, mm-hmm. I know she's, uh, she's kind of taking a step back from some of the Amazons and focusing on horses at the moment, but she's got some amazing Amazons and uh, probably another project that I should mention is uh, the Mango Project. So I've got a, a couple animals out on breeding loan with Harlan Wall out in Colorado. He's got some some stuff cooking with the Mango Project out there, and um, you know it's kind of funny. He he's him and and uh, Keith McPeak and Bill Hughes are are really the ones responsible for me making the jump from green trees into some of these boa species. They they all are working with different stuff and talking to them over the years they always are kind of whispering in my ear about you know emeralds or amazons or <laughs> annulatus and, or sanzinia and you know the funny thing is the first time harlan was like oh you know you know what you'd really like you'd really like some some amazon tree bones you should get into those and i was like oh those things are they're so skinny looking and you know, long necks and yeah he's like oh well, you know emeralds are really cool and i was like oh they've got these big big you know goofy looking heads and and now here I've got like, you know, tons of these things and it's kind of like, you know, I told you, you didn't want to listen, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, the, the Amazons are just really cool. I, uh, I can't get enough of them, quite frankly. I feel like uh, that I need more cage space to, to have, you know, one of every kind or a pair of every one, but yeah. it's, um, it'll be interesting to see what the next couple of years bring because as the collection becomes more and more diverse, you know, there's just more possibilities of, of what I can produce over the next couple of years. And mm-hmm. I'm anxious to see some some live births here at SNJ. It's uh it's been quite some time since I produced any boas, probably I don't know, probably ten, fifteen years at least. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back back in the day when I lived in Gainesville, I, I did quite a bit with uh sand boas and with candoya mm-hmm. and with rosy boas. But uh you know, it's been, I don't know, probably 15 years since I've had any live-bearing snakes uh, successfully breed. So it's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. You had a thing for salt marsh snakes at one point, didn't you? I did. How did you How did you dig that? Salt marsh snakes, really. Salt I've I've snakes. found one of those in Florida. I went down there on a herping trip, and I found that's a that's a that's a species of that's a Nerodia. Um, are they Nerodia? Yeah, they're Nerodia. They are Nerodia. Compressicata clerki. Yeah, that's it. Damn. Yeah, I found I found yeah. one of those out, out in Florida, and it was <laughs> so freaking cool, man. I didn't know you kept anything like that, Ian. Well, you know, I um, hear everything. So, I have been keeping reptiles, aquariums, birds, oh, yeah, animals you are a, in you're general. You're an aquarium like, guy too, aren't you? Forget about that. Yeah. So, you know, the the story goes, I've got a younger brother who's 18 months younger than me. And so when he was born, my parents 
you know, like parents usually, a lot of parents do, they, they give the, the older sibling something and they say, oh, it's from the baby, so that way you don't get jealous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess when my brother was born, my parents bought me a 10-gallon tank. Uh-huh. And from there, it went to a box turtle. It's like I had my first Florida box turtle when I was like two. And, um, and I had my first aquarium when I was like less than two. And so from there, it's just been kind of like a lifelong journey of animals. And I've kept, gosh, I mean, I've kept just a plethora of different things. Lizards, turtles, frogs, mm-hmm. mammals, birds, um, just all kinds of stuff. I've worked in a number of pet-related jobs, um, both retail and the industry side. So, you know, I've also you know, worked at different pet stores and aquarium stores and breeding facilities. So it's... It's just been a lifelong journey of different species, and um, you know, sometimes it was just as pets, but some a lot of times it was you know breeding stuff, both for the fun and mm-hmm. and to to make a little bit of money on the side. And you know, the the story goes that when I met my wife, I was living in a two bedroom apartment, and the first time she came to my apartment, and the the door to the other room was closed, and she's like, "Well, what's in there?" And I said, "Well, we should probably talk about that." <laughs> and before I could even say it, she had opened the door and walked in, and at that time, that room probably had about 200 snakes in it. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, and that was not, you know, that was just 200 snakes. That wasn't like breeding season and babies and everything else. Yeah. And at that point, I was I was big into sand boas. So I had, like, every at that point, every morph of Kenyan sand boa there was. I was Jeez. big into uh, corn snakes and rat snakes and pituophis and rosy boas, candoya. Um, but what I was really into were these these mangrove saltwater marsh snakes and i i I gotta ask how did you dig that up justin because that's like that's from a long time ago secrets (laughs) no i remember i remember you talking about it on joe's podcast when you were on that okay that was something that stuck out to me okay the irony of that story and i figured where you where you were going to go with that is the guy who got me into those was john decker and he was at carpet fest decker (laughs) i think we remember him yeah, well, how can I, you not remember Decker? Oh, my He's gosh. Kind of I didn't know who he was, dude, but he Decker, was messing with you dude, hardcore. It was Decker, funny because you were like, what do you keep? Dude, and he was like, Dude, everything. Decker is a freaking wizard, man. That dude is a wizard. He was messing I don't with know you it. so hardcore. It was dude, hilarious. I was, oh, I was, oh, man, Decker. Well, I, Decker's a legend. He is a all, freaking dude. legend, dude. Oh, I love that guy. That man's a wizard, I First swear. First of all, he's a legend. He's, <laughs> he's only been around for like, I don't know, probably 150 years. Oh, my um, gosh. And I say that in the most loving way because yeah. I've known Decker a long time. And, oh, man. Um, so the funny thing about, about John Decker is whether you see him at Cody and Pia's house in February when it's like 45 degrees yeah. out, or whether you see him at Daytona in August when it's a million degrees out, He's always same wearing exact the thing. same exact thing, always. <laughs> and it was um, it was funny when uh, before I when I had just met him or something, and Cody was telling a story about him. He's like, "Man, and I walked in his closet." I said, "Let me guess." I said, "Every piece of clothing in his closet was exactly the same as what he's wearing right now." And he's like, "Yes!" <laughs> I was like, "I knew it. I could just tell this guy wears was the exact same so thing hardcore. every day." Because you were like. Do you keep carpets? Like, he just wouldn't. No, no he, he wouldn't like, give no, it up. He was like, just he like, wouldn't. sure. He said, yeah. sure. He's like, sure. Yeah, he was. I was. Like, you know, you I, I may have not. Like, sure. No, I didn't ask all that. I just told him the name of species. No, I remember, like, you were, I remember. I was watching it. You no, were the, naming the, off a the few. First thing he was I, like, yeah. the, the first thing I said, because he said he kept everything. And I was like, okay, well, did you keep Wellens pythons? And he was like, 
no, no, I didn't. I was like, okay. I was like, did you work with Carter? Did you ever work with Carter he Pythons? Was, he and he's like, you nothing. he goes, sure, sure. I was like, fine. There you go. I'm leaving it at that. I'm not asking anymore about what freaking species you kept. Jeez. But yeah. Uh, De- Decker's awesome. Yeah. You know, he actually told me he wasn't coming. And so there's a funny picture that Justin, you took um, when, when he showed up and I'm like, what the oh, hell? Yeah, what yeah, are you yeah. doing here? Yeah, and it looks like that. we're like running to each yeah. other, like, you know, like on the, like the deck of the Titanic or yeah. some <laughs> fucked up shit like that. But <laughs> it's kind of a funny picture that you took. But uh, yeah, so John Decker is awesome. He's been around for a long time. And so I met John was probably like mid 90s, maybe mid to late 90s. And he was working at the Glades Herp uh, booth mm-hmm. at Daytona Reptile Show. And this was like back in like Daytona Reptile Show heyday. So it was in the old part of the, the convention center there, the Ocean Center in Daytona. It was when the show was literally the only big show in the entire country all year. And it was jam-packed. It was wall-to-wall, waiting list, like line around the block to get in. It was like crazy chaos. And I remember the Glades Herp booth, um, you know, they kind of had, it was almost like a pit. Like the, the guys working it were on the inside and the people were all like on the outside and they had these kind of big acrylic barriers and people couldn't steal the animals. And uh, John was working in there and, and that was how I first met him. And I was totally interested in Nerodia. And so, um, you know, that he was actually working with them and, and keeping on breeding them and, he had all these different color morphs. He had like these jet black ones and these completely patternless red ones and orange ones and like these platinum like banded ones. It was, I mean, he just Jeez. had an awesome collection of these things. And, and I also was actually back then really into locality corns. Mm-hmm. So especially some of the, like the Keys corns and the, the, the Miami Dade County corns. And so he was, he was really into all that stuff because he's a land surveyor. So he always is going out into these, like undeveloped areas or soon to be developed areas and, and doing work, you know, for his day job. And, you know, he sees a lot of herps when he's out there. So, so anyhow, that was, that was how I got into those. And I had gotten a bunch of animals from John over a couple year period and, um, produced quite a few of those actually back in the day, super easy to breathe. And well, Jake's um, on a Nerodia just, kick right now. Yeah. So. I've actually, it's funny, his that, ears perked up it's real funny hard that you bring up, that. you bring up Nerodia because that's honestly <laughs> one of my favorite species to catch around here. Like I just freaking love all Nerodia. I've horrible. I've caught in so many different species in the wild. I've been able to catch the, the banded water snakes, um, red bellies. I've caught green water snakes. I've caught, a banded green cross which was huge and weird looking mm-hmm. species and then i've caught um the salt marsh the only one that mm-hmm. i and i saw one in the wild but i wasn't able to get my hands on it was a brown water snake and then i've also yeah, caught cool. i've also caught um diamondback water snakes out in texas yep. those yep. are probably my favorite man they are just massive I caught a female, and i i'm not even kidding this thing was pushing five and a half six foot long in Diamondback water snake, biggest freaking Nerodia I've ever. So if my dad finds one in the pool, do you want it? If it's a little one, I might consider it. If it's a little banded, because every year I pull bandits out of our neighbor's Dude, pool all the time. They're so cool, man. Yeah. Some of them get big. I mean, some of the greens get really big. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of the browns. Uh, I've heard the browns can but, get real beefy. Yeah, the ones down here. So the the the, the ones that I was working with, the the saltwater or mm. mangrove, um, you know marsh snakes they they're found a lot of them down in the keys area so they're 
really isolated little populations and the colors are just incredible. I don't know if they're the same ones that you guys have up further north. It's, it's probably a little bit of a different we variety. We don't get them out in South Carolina. Um, the only place that I work, because we went to one spot specifically looking for salt marsh snakes because um, my, my herpetologist buddy wanted to find them. But we were, we were in, it wasn't Tallahassee, but it was Tallahassee area. Um, yeah, some, so that's the there. Gulf one. There okay. is a Gulf uh, saltwater marsh snake but those tend to be I, i've never kept those or, or seen them in the wild i've seen pictures of them but in, if i recall they tend to be more like you know almost like a garden phase amazon like more drab like grays brown yeah you know, with more of a darker pattern yeah they the ones had... down in the keys are you know kind of like the opposite end of the color spectrum on amazon's like oh, bright wow. orange bright oh, red okay. jet black yeah. Um, some of them are banded, like with almost like a like red and orange, almost like a bicolor Amazon, but mm-hmm. like more like with red and like a platinum color in between. Mm-hmm. So um, a little bit different. There, I think there's an intergrade between those and the Gulf ones as well. Mm-hmm. But the ones that you would have found in the Panhandle are a little bit different uh, than these that are that are down in the Keys, and um, they've got you know the same kind of keeled scales like the mm-hmm. rest of the Nerodia. But they don't get super big, you know, maybe 24 to 36 inches. Yeah, they're not a big species. Do they smell and, just and, as bad? <laughs> so they, they will musk. I think that's just kind of a Nerodia thing yeah, is the musk. But they smell man. horrible. <laughs> I didn't really handle mine a whole lot, to be honest with you. But what I did is I set them up in, I used to keep them in 20-gallon aquariums with a screen top and a heat light. Mm-hmm. And then I would keep about, I don't know, two or three inches of water. And then a whole bunch of branches coming up, almost like mangrove uh, roots coming up out of the water. Mm-hmm. And they would just bask up under the up. They would bask up on the branches under the heat light, and then they would just hang out down in the water with nothing but their their heads sticking up out of the water. Mm-hmm. And I would just dump like you know a dozen or fifteen goldfish that in there at a time, cool. and they go they go nuts. Yeah. Yep. Do you have like a right. like a small water filter in there, or did you just change it out regularly? Like, what was your? I just had an air stone in the corner. Oh, okay. So I had I had a row of those twenty gallon aquariums. In fact, I had a row of ten gallon aquariums on top and twenty gallon aquariums on the bottom, and um, and I just kept them like that. John used to keep them almost more like corn snakes, just like um, if I recall, he used to just keep them on mulch. Yeah, I think you know, that's yeah, Kevin I've, Fisher like deals with some, and I think he keeps his on aspen. I've heard, you know, the as far as captivity goes, a lot of people, you know, for the Nerodia. Now, I've never heard of somebody keeping the salt marsh snakes in captivity. I've heard of, you know, bandits and, you know, some of the red bellies. But, um, but from what I hear, most people just leave, like, a thick layer of substrate and then a large water dish that, you know, they can swim around in, you know, kind of more like a, either 25-75 or even a half-and-half half water land. Um, yeah. Do like a Bartolini vivarium in there where you got guppies in the. Yeah, that was dude. Nuts, those dude. things were so cool, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, those things eat... were awesome. Yeah, that was super. Good yeah, God. you know the only thing is is that they, yeah, yeah, I never was able to keep any fish with them other than feeder fish for a short period of time. Yeah, their feeding response is insane. I mean, they, <laughs> their metabolism was really high. But then also, I never kept like anything in the water with them because I, I have to do water changes like at least once a week or once every two weeks because, mm-hmm. you know, the high metabolism, they're eating all those fish. They're a colubrid. Yeah, I've they're, heard they, no. they they're a colubrid, like, exactly. Yeah. But, um, but like super cool display animal. I could keep multiple animals in the same cage. I had, I actually kept bandits that way as well. I was able to, um, over a period of time, get a hold of some bandits that were from, 
South Florida, like, I think they were from either down in the Homestead area or, or somewhere around Lake Okeechobee, and it was like really, really high contrast, high color band-aids. So I had a group of those, and then I had some of the, the, the mangroves, and I had them all in these aquariums, and they were just awesome display animals because they're diurnal, they're super alert, mm-hmm. very, very fast feeding response, and you know, they're just always wanting to know what's going on, mm-hmm. and they, they're out basking a lot during the day, and super easy to start. The babies, you know, were, were easy to get started, and uh, they sold like hotcakes. You know, I've, I've so. heard they actually make decent pets, like once once you get over, you know, if it's a wild caught, it's going to take a little longer, you know, but if you know once they get over the whole handling and biting thing you know if if they can get past that they're actually really good species to keep you know super easy you know feed them fish if people did you only feed them fish or did you feed them like did you feed them mice too no i i never even tried to feed them anything but fish they uh they ate they ate fish so eagerly and you know it was it was so easy you know i i agree i think if if you're looking for a snake that makes a good pet as a display animal, um, you know they're they're awesome because, like I said, they're diurnal, mm-hmm. they're very alert. They you can have a couple of them in there together. They'll sit out in the open. You know it's not like I always used to joke when I bred these Kenyan samboas and I had I don't know a couple dozen breeders and mm-hmm. I was pumping out a couple hundred babies and I was mm-hmm. like it's. It's literally the worst pet snake ever because I used to keep them on on aspen ships, and so you would open a, a tub and all you would see was an empty cage. It was like <laughs> yeah. an empty tub with a water bowl and a piece of newspaper. Yep. So I used to feed them on top of the newspaper, but literally they were always hidden. You could never see yeah. them. Yeah, they're not. So that it was exciting. like literally the worst pet snake ever because <laughs> you never see the animal at all. And the only way to see them is to keep them on something that they can't bury themselves in. And mm-hmm. now you're basically like forcing them to yeah, be out in the open when they don't want to well. be. So, yeah, you know, but um, if you want a snake that you're going to hold, you know, obviously a, a chondro or a water snake, you know, a nerodia is not going to be the ideal snake. But yeah. if you're looking for cool display animals, I mean, should I, I would love to have a big aquarium set up with, with some nerodia in it again. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's definitely you're right. As far as like a display animal, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good choice. Yeah, they're definitely. You might pretty. have sold me on them, dude. They're it cool, might be man. Worth a I'm shot, telling you, and he's been like Nerodia, Nerodia. I'm like, I've, yeah, whatever. I just want to do just like a little a little side project with a wild caught pair. If Bear I can, if I can find some, because um, I've got a road that I herp. I mean, every every single spring. Are you gonna you know? go tomorrow? Uh, it's gonna depend. It all, it all depends on the weather and do it. what I'm doing. But, yeah, it's uh, I can find banded water snakes almost every night during the spring if I wanted, along with God knows what else. Um, but definitely super cool. But I think we are at about an hour and a half now, right, Smitty? Mm, uh, yeah, about an hour 40. About an hour 40. It's so, going to be pretty cool tomorrow night. Tomorrow 62 night. at about 7 p.m. Uh, we, that might work, depending on how well, much the sun's out. 65 at about 3. Yeah. We'll I don't see. know. We'll see. Well, you guys should come down to Florida and come get come down and look for some <laughs> of those uh, those mangrove water snakes. Those are those are super cool. Yeah, that's something I definitely want to find. I'm trying to add a lot of the species to my Nerodia list. I've got quite a few, but I still need the brown, and I still need – yeah, I want to find the mangrove Gotta salt catch marsh them all. now. 
Um, yep. That's kind of it's my it's I swear it's one of my favorite species in the in the U.S. The Nerodia stuff they're just so cool, man. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think that there's there's a lot of colubrids that are just you know kind of undervalued. Yes, it seems like. Well, we it go. seems like colubrids kind of went away for a little while, mm-hmm. and now it, uh, it feels a little bit like colubrids are kind of coming back. And yep. uh, there's just so many cool, even North American colubrids that I think are oh, yeah. underappreciated. Beards, that, that used to be more popular that aren't as much now. I mean, yeah. some of the just some of the yeah. rat snakes, some of the king snakes, some of the pituophis. Yep. Beards, rats, all for the sure. way. Me and Justin have been talking. Yeah, Justin's real big into the beards, and we're talking about I trying to. I used to keep to... some of those beards, rats, also. I, I, lo- I love those. Dude, I'm up to like, from, I'm uh... up to three pairs of them now. I can't They're get cool. enough. Oh, man. I want more. I had some that were from Texas. I had a pair and... that at, at Carpet Fest in the car. Did you? Yeah. Man, I would have liked to have checked I, those things I out. I bought them from Daniel Parker, like, the Friday before. Yeah, I had a, an adult pair that were from Texas, and those things were the most frustrating snakes to try to photograph because you could never yeah they don't capture. sit still very long yeah they, well not only would they not sit still but like they have this like iridescence almost like a you know, like a like a mud snake or a rainbow snake or mm-hmm. yeah. you know like they've got this iridescence to them that you can't really capture in photographs mm-hmm. but um the ones that i had they had like that silver and then they had almost like an orange outlining on the tip yeah of the it's like the skin underneath this, the scales is like mm-hmm neon orange it's crazy exactly yeah. they were they were awesome and uh, that's another colubrid I that i think is uh just underrated there's just so many native colubrids i mean you've got the bears the transpacos rat snakes everglades oh, rat snakes and even <clears throat> a lot of the king snakes like the eastern chain king yeah and, my dad's got a couple pairs of those and he's planning on pairing his up and then he i think he said he wants to get rid of them and i'm, I'm really contemplating getting those from him because i like them i mean I, yeah. I think the eastern kings are cool they're his are super spazzy and they're not that enjoyable as far as <laughs> handling and stuff goes, but they're cool. Especially the ones we have here locally. We've got some really unique looking Easterns here in the, uh, in the low country. For sure. Yeah. You just don't see a lot of that locality, North American colubrid stuff available anymore. You know, everyone went so heavy into the morphs, especially mm-hmm. like on the corn snakes and the king snakes. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's kind of cool to see that some people are starting to work with some of that locality North American stuff again. And yeah, a lot sure. of it really makes great pet snakes and, and really great display animals. Too. Yeah. That's another thing I'm doing too, is some locality corns. Cause we have a lot of islands here where we are. And so we get a lot of variation in the corn populations from Island to Island. And so I've been, I've got two right now that are wild caught. I'm hoping to add more to that when it warms up some, see if I can find some more babies to raise up. But yeah, you know, some of it kind of feels like the the ball python craze has kind of maybe gotten to that level where people are looking getting for, kind of stale. for other things. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. People are starting to branch out. But. Yeah, which is fine by me. I, you know, I like to see people, you know, getting more into the boreals. I'd, I'd love to see more people getting into Amazons, quite frankly. And I kind of feel like a lot of people right now are getting into Amazons, um, you know, there's there's a number of guys that I talk to around the country that are starting to put together collections or build up some numbers. So I think it's gonna be exciting to see what happens with the aboreals in the next few years. Definitely, man. Definitely. All right, man. hour forty-five. Where can people find you, man? Yeah, how can we? How can uh... I'm sure everyone's All seen right. SNJ somewhere on the <laughs> internet. There's no corner well, that they yeah, cannot you know, be. They um, cannot find you. You know, if, if you're living under a rock, then you might not have heard of us. Um, <laughs> but, 
you certainly can find us on Facebook, SNJ Reptiles. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. It's SJ underscore reptile. Mm-hmm. You can find us. We do have a website, although I'll admit we, it's not super up to date, mm-hmm. uh, but it's sjreptiles.com. And, um, you know, if you're interested in any information on Carpet Fest, you can, like I said, find that as well on Instagram and Car- and, um, and Facebook. We, uh, we will accept donations here for just a little bit longer. So if you're interested in contributing to the NIDA Research Fund, certainly get a hold of me. And uh, other than that, though, um, social media is probably the best way to reach me. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, well we, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, finally able to do this episode with you. We've been trying to do this for the past year, several weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, I know yeah. it's been a while, and I, I apologize. For yeah, that, but no. Now the carpet fest is over. Yeah. I can focus on the rest of my life again. <laughs> you can breathe a little bit. <laughs> it's, um, so it's it's kind of uh, ironic. So I saw today that Joel posted it's it's I guess exactly six months until Daytona. Uh-huh. And so Daytona is when we do kind of our Carpet Fest kickoff mm-hmm. planning meeting. Get the ball so rolling. It's, it's the perfect halfway mark, though, because for me it means like six months of not having to deal with Carpet Fest until <laughs> yeah. you know, the whole thing starts all over again. But it means that I can now hopefully enjoy attending some Carpet Fests in the next six months. So Definitely. That'll be sure. cool. Definitely. All right, man. Well, we uh, really appreciate uh, having you on, and uh, we'll definitely uh, be talking at you soon. Sounds good, guys. Have a good night, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Ian. Bye. All right. Episode 27 in the books. Money. Money. Feels good to be back. 27 We've had like a two-week hiatus, man. It wasn't two weeks. It has been two weeks. Because we didn't do an episode the week of Carver Fest because we were at... Gonna be leaving. We did one the, the next week day. before that, though. We did, but did Scott I don't Borden like to keep. I like to give the people what they want. Oh, shout out Scott Borden for taking the lead at uh, on the episodes. He's got the oh uh, yeah, the he's most up almost six hundred. Really? Yeah, I think so, it's because Reptile Report shared that one though. Yeah, and Scott shared it around a good that bit. Too. I'm pretty sure. So, but yeah, so shout out to Scotch Borden. <laughs> Scotch Borden. That was uh, the Scotch Borden episode because yeah. I was drinking. And we got it. Uh, that's taking a new lead, so that's super cool. Um, SoundCloud almost has 600 episodes for that. And we're over 10,000 listens views. on t- over we're at like 10.2 thousand listens on really. SoundCloud. Wow, it's nuts. It's crazy, man. Nuts. We're going somewhere, guys. We are working on trying to get some merch eventually. We're working on having a an official logo for THP made. Um, so once that's done, we're definitely going to start pu- pushing more merchandise, um, some T-shirts and things of the sort. We might look into a few other things as well. So be on the lookout for that. Hopefully sooner than later, um, as long as we can get funds in order, we're going to try and get that done as soon as possible. Um, I know we've had a couple people hit us up about we are poor. merchandise. So Yes, we are very poor. Um, so... I say that with a room full of chondros. And yeah. <laughs> we say that when we're from like between us. We have like 60 oh, snakes. Oh, my God. <laughs> but regardless, guys, um, we really appreciate all the support, all the views, all the listens. You guys are the best. You guys rock. Wouldn't ask for a better crowd. I just, I just love you, you guys like me. So you much. really like me. <laughs> Anyways. Palmetto Coast Exotics. JLB Morelia. Justin Smith. Jacob Bratz. Episode 27. Gone. Thanks again to Ian. Thanks, Ian.